Good morning. Uh, Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sean. You know, this may not shock you as a pastor saying this, but I love to read. You know, I am... But I have to tell you, I am partial to actually reading a book I can hold as opposed to a screen. I know I may be somewhat of a millennial, but I I love to hold a book. I love to flip through the pages. Uh, This may sound weird. I love to smell books. Come on. Now, that's why it makes... Thank you. Thank you for saying that. We're in church, but thank you for saying that. You know... The same is true for electronics, so I'm, I'm sad that all of the, the bookstores have closed because it's hard to touch those books. And, and electronic stores have been closing too. First, it was Circuit City. Radio Shack stores started closing. Even Best Buy was in trouble there for a while. Do you all remember that? Now, today, though, you look at Best Buy and they're thriving. Their stock prices are surging. Employee engagement's at an all-time high. They're doing really well for themselves, but that wasn't the case in 2012. In 2012... Their CEO had just resigned. Employee engagement was at an all-time low, and their stores were bleeding money because people like me and maybe you would go into their stores and test out the products and then get on the phone and order from Amazon for less. I mean, it's true. These stores, Best Buy, was dying a slow death. So what happened? What changed? How did Best Buy survive throughout this difficult market? Well, a man by the name of Hubert Jolie became their new CEO. And the way that he decided to lead is that he focused on people and he practiced humility. That sounds good, but what does that mean? It means that as the CEO of a fairly major company, he went and visited Best Buy stores. He actually walked into the stores that he was CEO of. In fact, get this, he worked at a Best Buy store for an entire week. He went all undercover boss on him. You you know what I mean? Like he, he walked alongside and worked alongside and served alongside the people that he was leading. And you know what it gave him the opportunity to do? It gave him an opportunity to speak to the frontline employees and to ask questions. He started soliciting feedback and, and guess what? He actually listened to what they had to say. And he took what he learned, especially from the front-line employees, from, from the stores he visited, from the time that he worked, he took what he learned and he made some changes. He fixed some broken systems that he only knew were broken because he saw how it affected the front line. He also brought back some uh, this beloved employee discount program. I mean, come on, you work at Best Buy because you get a discount on electronics, right? At least I would. And then finally, he he started to invest in employee training. He wanted to make the people that he served and led better. And it worked. 78% of Best Buy employees would recommend working at Best Buy to a friend. And get this, Hubert Jolie, the CEO of Best Buy, enjoys a 92% approval rating 
by his employees. Can you, can you believe that? I don't even have that at this church. I mean, come on. So let me ask you this. What makes a good leader? Is it their charisma? Is it their knowledge for business? Right? Is it their ability to vision and to strategize? Are leaders made? Are leaders born that way? Do good leaders know that they are good leaders? Should they know that they are good leaders? You know, something that I want us all to hear that I will say, Pastor Rob will say over the next few weeks, is this. We are all leaders. We lead our families. We lead our community and we lead out into the world. Because anywhere that we have influence over the lives of others, we are leaders. Anywhere that we influence the lives of others, we lead. Because what do we do as a society? We watch other people. That's how we learn. And so people watch us. We have influence. We lead as we influence others. Now, in our culture, successful leadership is often measured by outcomes and achievements. It means that I'm successful as a leader if the bottom line grows. I'm successful as a leader if my child gets into that school of their choosing, that college that they want to go to. And you know, often, in order to be a great leader in this world today to achieve success, we are told this lie, that we have to change everything about who we are and become somebody we're not. Well, I have a bookcase full of leadership books. I've been to a ton of leadership conferences, and here's what I've learned. The greatest leaders don't pretend to be somebody they're not. They don't all of a sudden take on this new identity. No, what do they do? The greatest leaders live into who God has created them to be. So as we kick off our four-week leadership series, Lead, we're going to look at the greatest leader in the history of the world, Jesus Christ. He didn't just perform miracles. He didn't just come back from the dead. He taught his disciples how to lead. In fact, as we read through the gospel, there is some absolute gold on what it means to be a leader. Now, he doesn't teach leadership or lead as a leader in the way that the world today understands it often. But let me put it this way. The, the movement of Jesus Christ, the, the, for the leaders of Jesus Christ to fully follow His message, and these humble fishermen, these tax collectors, these nobodies, who were able to follow Jesus Christ, to share His message, and, and to lead them to become the greatest movement that this world has ever seen, that we're still a part of, means that Jesus got something right. And so I think that in order to kick off this series, we're going to focus on those who chose to follow Jesus Christ and to learn what he taught about leadership. So the first of Jesus' followers, the the very first ones, were simple fishermen. In fact, we read their story today in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Peter and Andrew were casting their nets out into the sea when Jesus came and said, follow me. And I will make you fish for people. What did they do? They immediately dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were with their father. They were mending nets and Jesus called them. They immediately got out of the boat and they followed him. These men hadn't been to business school. They hadn't read leadership books. They hadn't even attended a single leadership conference. 
Right? What good were they? What did they know about leadership? Well, you know what they did? They humbly followed Jesus Christ. In fact, for three years of their lives, they spent it watching him, learning from him, serving alongside of him. And here's what that tells me. See, I think that the church of Jesus Christ was the greatest movement that's ever been, uh, that's ever happened in this world. And those disciples, those apostles must have been the greatest leaders after Jesus Christ. And so what that tells me is the greatest leaders in this world to be the best leader We have to start off as humble followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to talk about humility for a second, because to follow Jesus, it takes humility. And often we think of humility as weakness, right? We think of, if I'm humble, then I'm going to let somebody walk all over me. Are you all with me? Okay, you are. Great. See, the opposite is true in humility. In humility, we are so sure of who God has created us to be. We are so confident and comfortable in our own skin that we're willing to lead by serving others. We don't need others to tell us how great we are in order to be good leaders. We already know who we are in Jesus Christ, and so we're willing to serve them. That's what Jesus teaches us about leadership. It's why I think personally that James and John, those sons of Zebedee, must have been at least a little bit embarrassed after they had been following Jesus for a number of years when all of a sudden in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, their mom comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, when you come into your power, I want my sons, James and John, to sit at your right and your left. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm a grown adult, I don't want my mommy to come to Jesus and say, Hey, hey, look out for my sons, right? And this is what Jesus said. He said, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what Jesus teaches about leadership. And now in my own leadership, what I've heard Jesus calling me to recognize is that a true leader doesn't rule their power over others. They use their power to serve others. As humble followers, there's nothing that's beneath us. We're more willing to listen to others, to sit with them, and as Jesus teaches us, to serve one another. That because we are secure in who Jesus Christ has created us to be, who we are in Christ, and we are clear on what he has called us to do, we are willing to be servant leaders, to be humble in the work God's called us to do. Our strength as a leader is knowing who God has created us to be and being clear on where God has called us to go. Let me say that again. Our strength as a leader is knowing who God has created us to be And being clear on where God has called us to go. Now, once again, in my own leadership, I've discovered that often it's in my own insecurity that that when I'm insecure about who I am as a person, that's when I want to lord my power, my what I have over people. But the more I know about who I am in Jesus Christ, the easier it is to hear his voice calling me and the more likely I am to use my power for the sake of others. So let me tell you this, 
when we understand who we are in Christ and where Christ has called us to go, everything changes. But don't take it from me. In fact, over the next few weeks, we're going to hear some stories from some folks at Ebenezer serving out in the community through their servant leadership. Today, I want you to hear Joni Bound's story. She's a member. Well, we'll get there. Maybe we'll just watch. She's a member here at Ebenezer. She's been serving students in our community in a pretty incredible way. And we're just going to, okay, we'll keep going. I don't have to set her up. I mean, you guys are going to watch it. She's great. But here's what I want to tell you about her, though. She's a teacher. And she's chosen to use her role as a teacher to humbly serve the students that she teaches. And I want you to watch how she discovered her true calling in Jesus Christ And she leveraged her training and all that she knows to find her true calling, her true calling of leadership in our local school system. So once again, let's turn our attention to the screens as we hear her story. Thank you so much for being with us and for sharing with us in uh, worship uh, today. We really appreciate uh, you taking the time. So I'm going to try and briefly describe the things that you do here at Stafford High School. So you are a teacher by trade and you teach ESOL, ESOL, uh, English to uh, speakers of other languages. That's that's kind of your day job. Correct. And then you run an after school um, program called the Beacon Program, which helps with uh, tutoring. It provides um, an opportunity for socialization. It provides uh, food to students who need food and clothing to students who need clothing. But then you also are connected with some community outreach as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So the community outreach piece is something that was brought to my attention when I first switched from being a math specialist in the county to ESOL. And what I notice is when we have these students that travel from other countries into our public schools, um, we can't educate them properly because we don't know the programs that they're coming from. So the first summer um, after I taught Esau, I traveled down to Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and Honduras with my middle daughter, and we took the Tika bus And we went from country to country, and my daughter um, cut hair, and I taught in the different schools um, for girls that had been sex trafficked. And I learned the schools, I learned the system, I learned how to um, speak some of the language. And then I was able to bring that back into the high schools here, and what I found was... I can teach them academics all day. I can teach them the math, the science, the English. But until I educate the whole child, then the efforts to teach them academically were frivolous. So I began to implement a whole child program. So when these children come to me, we spend about the first couple of weeks um, just learning to get the child to know the child. We um Learn that we learn the schedule, we learn the routine. Some of them learn how to use a water fountain inside the building. Um, then from there, once they've kind of got the routine down, then we start on the academic piece. But then that left the community or their community, their families, 
kind of out in the cold. So I started doing home visits. And this gave me the opportunity to go out into the community in their neighborhoods where they live. And I eat dinner with them. I talk with them. I go for walks with their moms. Um, I love their younger siblings. So that this family understands that when they come to this high school to be with me, I am going to educate them. I am going to love them. They're protected. And not only are they protected, but they're wanted. And they're wanted in this building as well as their family components. And that two hours after school once a week gave me that window of opportunity to really train those children up. So then when I entered into their homes, those children were then beginning to train their siblings and teach their families how we function here and the way that we do things to be most productive. You are a humble person, but you're also a very inspiring person. I don't know if you realize that, but you are. And part of the series is about the recognition that Christ calls all of us to follow his example of servant leadership in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of that is recognizing how people first responded to becoming uh, servant leaders in the context of their community. So can you just tell me, where's the initial fire of doing this come from inside of you? I think it's always been there. Um, I was raised um, in Comanche County, Oklahoma, and I did not realize it, but everybody there lives in poverty. So I was very accustomed to living, breathing, and seeing um, families interact in high poverty situations. So when I began teaching, and God led my husband here in Stafford County, I noticed immediately that we ability group our students um, in mathematics especially, um, and sometimes it wasn't for mathematical ability, it was for behavior. And when I really dug into that, I realized that behavior is not that student's behavior, it's a learned behavior from living in poverty or living in other countries. So I began to seek those students, and it was just a, a I was drawn to them. I, it's, you know, I've told others, I, I can't explain where it comes from, but God just leads me to these children. And they respond. I have yet to have a group of students that have not been able to learn and comprehend, feel loved, and be loved. Um, so it's it's hard to put into words. It's it's more of just a feeling. And I know where I'm needed, and they know they need me, and we we make it work. So when I work with these kids, whether we speak the same language or whether they're Um, gang-affiliated, or have lived in a hotel their entire lives, as long as you treat them and their families with love and respect, they always respond back, and then we can bridge those academics. Well, my faith is, is all of it. I see these children for who I know they will become. I don't see the language, I don't see the gang affiliation, I don't see the tattoos, I don't see the poverty. When I meet these children, I can just feel God's energy in them. And I can find those skills, whether some of them are writers, some of them are in mathematics, some of them are scientists, and they're just blooming and trying to come out. And... Me being a servant to them is the least I can do because God's given them this talent. It's just up to me to train them how to use it.
I cannot ask them to put forth effort in something that I don't truly believe is worth their effort or time. So I'm very selective in the educational path that I plan for each of them, and I'm also very selective in what I allow to influence them during the day. So serving them is what I live for every day. I And showing them God's love, again, unconditionally, by the programs and services that I'm just blessed to have at my fingertips is the least I can do to get them to where God wants them to be. Because when I meet these kids, I see them um, for who they're going to become, and who they're going to become is going to be a huge part in God's greater plan. So I just try to move them there. So you um, you work with, uh, I'm certain you would say, some of the m- most blessed children in the Stafford County school system, but also face some of the most significant and stark challenges in the school system. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, such a thing as compassion fatigue. So we do good for a long time mm-hmm. uh, because God is good and we want to make a difference in this world. Mm-hmm. And we can get tired mm-hmm. of doing good. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to me about resilience and how it is that you wake up every morning with a scope of not just being a teacher or leading an after-school program, but the justice work and the, the outreach work that you do? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you stay resilient? How do you find yourself continuing to be ignited with that fire of passion? God, working with these kids makes me me. So they're the ones that keep me going. And I don't... This world is messy. And if I didn't have this part of my life, I don't know that I could face everything else in life. So when we think about doing outreach... It's not something that I get in the car and I drive down to the Old Forge community and do. That's my life. That's my world. And because I have that, I am able to then be a part of all of the noise and the chaos because that's where God lives. Mm -hmm. That's where God blesses me through my own family and my own children. My whole family is a part of this. These, these students that I service know my children. They know my husband. My life is this. All the rest of it is just noise. And sometimes that noise is what really gets me down. Then I have to come back to this service in and, and, and compassion and, and outreach in order to survive what people call their normal world. Well, that's a great way to, to think about it. And uh, I... I appreciate it. One of the things that uh, I know is that um, Ebenezer Church has had the opportunity to help sponsor oh, the Beacon yes. program through yes. um, some financial giving. And right. I just I just want to affirm uh, with you and with the rest of our congregation mm-hmm. that that clearly is money that is being well spent. Thanks. And I want to Thank affirm you. your wonderful work here at Stafford High School Thank with you. these amazing students. And uh, we are blessed to have you as part of Ebenezer Church. So God bless you in your continued ministry. And we can't wait to continue to help and partner with you. Man, her story is so inspiring. And 
Again, I hope that you'll join us over the next few weeks as we hear other inspiring stories. Joni shows us that servant leadership is not using your role as a teacher or wherever you have influence to use it not to rule over others, but to see it as an opportunity to serve them. By serving student students, Joni leads them towards a new way, a new life through Jesus Christ. And isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ calls us to do? See, the way I see it, Joni did exactly what the first disciples did when she heard Jesus Christ calling her in this new way. What did she do? She dropped her nets, her her nets of the old way of doing things and became clear about where she was going because she was clear about who she was following. Peter, Andrew, James and John, they went from lowly fishermen to leaders of the greatest movement this world has ever seen because they dropped their nets. They stopped doing what they had always known and were open to a new way. Now, they were still fishermen, but Jesus had taught them how to take what they knew and to transform it into fishing for people. See, what's fascinating to me about Joni's story is how God leveraged her upbringing in Oklahoma and the poverty that she witnessed and how God used that to change lives through her calling here in Stafford. Now, she still had to drop her nets. I want to pause here for a second and be clear on what it means to drop our nets. Dropping our nets does not mean we go and quit our job. Dropping our nets does not mean we abandon our family. Dropping our nets does not mean that we forget everything we know or who we are. So do not send me that email. All right? When the new CEO of Best Buy wanted to focus on people and practice humility when he wanted to lead well, he didn't stop being CEO. He still went to his board meetings. He still had his executive leadership meetings. But he went the extra mile to humbly serve alongside those he was leading. He even asked them how he could help them. And get this, right? I know I've already said it, but he actually listened to what they had to say. And he actually used what they had to say to make changes. So not just what he knew, not just what his executives knew, but those who were on the front lines that he served alongside, he led well. Doing all this made him a better leader, but it took time. One of the things I know must be going through your mind, because it went through my mind when I was preparing for the sermon, yeah, it's great to be a humble leader and to do all the leadership things that we do regularly in our in our current role and to be great with our family and to do all these things, but... To do what Christ asks us to do takes a lot of extra time, doesn't it? Time we don't have, amen? Well, here's what I've realized about my life. When I am overwhelmed, I tend to spend my time on things I don't necessarily need to. So I was feeling particularly overwhelmed a few weeks ago, and there's this new feature on my iPhone with the update that lets you know how much time you're spending on your phone particularly on social media or email, things like that. And I I quickly glanced at it one day, and uh, again, at a week I was particularly overwhelmed, so I was using my phone a little bit more, and it said, you've been using your phone for two hours and 55 minutes. I said, oh, that's that's pretty good in a week. And it said, on average, per day. (laughs) You see, friends, I think we have time. In fact, I think in some areas we can make time, and in other areas... Well, frankly, we could leverage where we are and what we're doing to do what God has called us to do. 
Imagine what would have happened if Joni had transitioned from being a math teacher into the ESOL program and only did what she was trained to do. What, what would her life have looked like? She would have shown up, she would have taught her lesson, and then she would have come home completely exhausted. Right? You know what I'm talking about. That's what would have happened, I think. Instead, Joni leveraged her training to reach these students and serve them as an opportunity to change their lives. And in so doing, it gave her all this energy from what God was doing through her. You see, I'm pretty sure the school didn't train her or prepare her to to go on a cultural immersion trip and ride all these tiki buses with her daughter that summer and to teach these students and to learn from them. Pretty sure they didn't train her to do that. I'm pretty sure the school didn't train her or prepare her to go into the homes of the students she was teaching and to have dinner with them and to teach her students in such a way that they would go into their homes and teach their families and that she would build relationships with those families. I'm pretty sure that wasn't a part of her standard training. Joni was willing to risk all of her training, all of her career building, just like the disciples, to follow Jesus Christ. Joni didn't stop being a teacher but she dropped her nets of limiting expectations and made a priority of serving alongside those she was leading. Yesterday, over 570 people came out for our No Hunger Day. When we got the opportunity to go and serve people we will never, ever meet, we served them internationally, we served them locally, and we did so to glorify our Father in Heaven by the great work that God had called us to do. And here's the cool part. It didn't matter how old we were. It didn't matter what we looked like. It didn't matter how good we were. We dropped the net of a regular Saturday routine and we leveraged all that God has given us so that we could go out and serve others in his good and holy name. Serving others takes time, but when we're called to go, it's time well spent. I love Joni's response when Pastor Rob asked her about resiliency. What was her answer? He said, how do you do it? She said, God. Working with these kids makes me me. If I didn't have this in my life, I'm not sure I'd be able to face everything else. Following Jesus, where he's called us to go, doesn't mean that our journey is going to be easy. You all know this, right? Following Jesus doesn't mean life gets easier, but it's going to lead to new life. It's going to be better. Followers of Jesus Christ lead and live for the sake of others. We use our position, we use our power to bless and serve others, not just ourselves. So let me ask you, have you set your nets aside? Have you said yes to fully follow Jesus Christ where he has called you to go? Our strength as a leader comes from knowing who God has created us to be. And being clear where God has called us to go. Great leaders come in all shapes and sizes. And anywhere that we have influence over others, we are leaders. So when we drop our nets, and when we follow Jesus with all that we have, we lead others toward a new life in Jesus Christ. And friends, let me tell you, this is the type of leadership this world is hungry for. Because it's the way that God created us to be. So let's lead the world to new life as we follow Jesus Christ out into it. Let's pray. Oh, holy God, we thank you for the new life we find through Jesus Christ. For what we learn through his leadership 
and leadership we find through his disciples. God, of what it means to humbly follow you with all that we have, we thank you. And so we pray today, Lord, that we would be still and we would know who we are in you. Lord, that we would be still and we know who you've called us to be and where you've called us to go. Lord, that we wouldn't be still forever, but we would go where you send us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, have the strength to follow. And that in following Jesus Christ, we wouldn't become somebody that we're not. But Lord, that we would find new life in who you've called us to be. And that in so doing, others would follow to new life as well. New life in Jesus Christ, whose name we pray and give you thanks. Amen.